of the Lord. Lord, we're thankful for this time together in your word. I'm thankful for everyone who has made the effort to be here tonight. And I just pray that you'll bless each and every one of us as we examine your word. I know that you will, because if we examine your word in faith, it will not return void. Whether we speak your word or whether we receive your word, it does not return void when there is faith involved. So I pray you'll help us tonight to remember your goodness in this day and age we're living in. That will resist the temptation to just think of all the bad things. And we will remember your goodness. Amen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 77, we're going to go there tonight. Uh, as we get ready to dive in, I want to examine the author shortly here. The author is a man named Asaph. A lot of the Psalms are written by David. And Asaph is one who was a Levite. And he was one of the leaders of David's choir. Because as we remember, the Psalms are primarily things that were sung. And this is a leader of David's choir, one of the leaders. He wrote Psalm 50, and he wrote Psalm 73 through 83. And he was in aftertime celebrated as a seer or a prophet, as well as a musical composer. And the sons of Asaph were mentioned in various times after him in Scripture. And they are known to be either his descendants or a class of poets or singers who recognized him as their master. But either way, whether it's descendants or those who followed him, they were people that played a prominent role in revival of the national religion, the nation of Israel. They played a great role in revival. Asaph passed on his love for worship to his descendants. If we want our children to do all that God wants them to do, we must pass on a passion and an example of fully surrendered to Him. And I've had a great burden for our children lately the last month or so in prayer and Every time we gather, I just have a great burden for our children to be closer to God than ever before because of the day we are living in. And if they're going to do that, they have to have people that have that kind of example. Not just people that say they're Christian, but people that actually live as a Christian. Otherwise, they'll just repeat the same thing. But I'm thankful for the example of Asaph. It shows us that if we will leave a godly heritage, it can go on to future generations. And I believe that's the case in our church. As we show children the way to go, they will follow in the ways we show them. The word uh, sila is one that's used often in Psalms, and it's also a uh, group that sings nowadays, sila. You may have heard their songs before. They're a good group. But its common definition is one that is argued. Uh, people argue over exactly what it means, but a pretty common accepted definition is that it is a musical interlude. It is a pause to think about what was just sung. Because we need to stop every once in a while and 
think about the words that just came out of our mouth, right? I'm just going to go through the motions, but focus on what we just said or what we just sung. And so there are some times in the Psalms where you find this, and in this particular chapter, it divides uh, into three parts if you separate them by what we would call the silas. In verses 1 through 3, we find this troubled psalmist pleading with God. In verses 4 through, my, 4 through 9, we hear him lamenting and arguing within himself, which is a part that we're probably going to identify with tonight. And in verses 10 through 15, his meditations run toward God. And finally, in closing, he seems to behold and recollect the wonders of the Red Sea and the wilderness and all that God did to deliver the children of Israel. Spurgeon said of Asaph that he's a man of exercised mind and often he touched on the minor keys. He's thoughtful, contemplative, believing, but withal there's a little dash of sadness about him. And perhaps if Asaph, this is my part, not Spurgeon's, but perhaps if he was alive today he would be a blues gospel singer. It seems like a contradiction, but even Christians get the blues now and then, right? The difference was Asaph knew when to turn when he got the blues. And that's really what separates Christians from non-Christians. It's not that we don't have problems. It's not that we don't have struggles. It's not that we're not weak. It's just that we turn to a different place when we get there. We trust in Jesus Christ. And so we find in the very beginning of this psalm, chapter uh, 77 and verse 1, it starts out by saying that Asaph cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. So we find that Asaph is greatly troubled and he has enough sense to run to God in the midst of his trouble. And he's so desperate that he begins to cry out to God. And again, this is probably something I say too often, but just have to endure, I guess, because it's me. But passion is, is, should be part and parcel to Christianity. There should be some passion at times. Anything we care about, we're passionate about. And this word cry means to shriek. To shriek. That's what the original Hebrew language means in this word. And shriek means to utter a high-pitched, piercing sound or words. Especially an expression of terror, pain, or excitement. It can be positive or negative, right? Sometimes people shriek because they're so excited, they just shriek. Let out this high-pitched scream, right? But we also hear those kind of screams when there's terror involved. Or there's pain involved. And so this was not a just a little Christian stub my toe day for Asaph. Where he just had to 
kind of grunt instead of saying some choice words. This was a serious day. This was a bad, bad day. But the persistence of Asaph is evident also because he doesn't just cry once, he mentions it twice. I cry unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. So if he doesn't hear me the first time, which we know God hears us, but if the answer doesn't come right away, I'm going to keep crying out until I receive an answer from God. Just like the importune friend that went to his neighbor's house and asked him for bread in the middle of the night. The lady who went before the unjust judge and kept appearing in his courtroom until finally, not because he feared God or man, but because he was tired of seeing this lady's face. He said, I'll give you what you want. Just get out of my courtroom. Don't come back again. Whatever I can do to get rid of you, I'm willing to do at this point. And God uses that. I love that the Lord uses exaggeration a lot in his teaching and He's saying if, if a judge that is unjust will answer someone's persistent cries, how much more God who is just would hear you and respond and answer. So don't give up on your cries to God if you don't get heard right away or you don't see the answer right away rather because again, we know He hears us and Psalmist goes on to say that I cried unto God, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. We know God doesn't have a physical ear that's the size of Texas leaning over heaven. But proverbially, he has an ear and he hears us. And that's why in Psalm 116, 1, Psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. I love him because he listens to me. He hears me when I talk to him. And in Psalm 116 too, Because he hath inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. There's a confidence when we call on the Lord that he hears us. And that confidence should lead us to cry on him more. To reach out to him even more. And I know, again, we have to have this get past our ears into our heart because all you could be sitting there thinking, duh, I know this. But our faith of this is demonstrated by how often we pray. And that's where the real rubber meets the road. And I ask you to examine that tonight. Do you really believe that he hears your prayers? Do you really believe he hears every single word and not only hears it, but he acts on it? And if you really believe that, you will pray every day. And you will pray throughout your day. He hears every single word. And it doesn't have to be a cry, it doesn't have to be a shriek. For him to hear it. God doesn't have hearing aids. We know that. But he hears. And he responds to sincerity. And in this situation. The sincerity. Brought about a desperate cry. In verse 2. The psalmist goes on. Asaph goes on to say. In the day of my trouble. I sought the Lord. 
It's okay. No problem. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran into the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. So he was troubled all day and then he was troubled all night. And some scholars would say that the translation in this verse is a little misleading because really it could say, my hand was stretched out all night. So I was troubled all day and my hand was stretched out to God all night, waiting to receive because I needed. I was so upset, I refused to be comforted. You know how when you're so upset, someone can bring you really good food and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm too upset to eat. That's refusing to be comforted. That hardly ever happens with me. If that happens, there's something really wrong. If you offer me cheesecake, Byron, you know I'm going to take it, right? And with something like that, I'll just, even if I can't eat it, then I'm going to put it in the fridge. So I have faith eventually, I'm going to get out of that funk and I'm going to eat that cheesecake. But he refused to be comforted. He was troubled all day and his hand was open to the Lord all night. And it's important here just to, to say, and it might not be the exact same context, but just of note that we need to live with an open hand. It's important because an open hand can receive blessing. A closed hand can't receive anything. Sometimes we look at the open hand as scary because that also means that God can pluck stuff out of it, right? He can take things away. So close it. But he won't take something away unless he has something better to replace it. So let's live with an open hand to the Lord. But Asaph was not having a good day. And he wasn't having a good night. And then he goes on to verse 3 to say, I remembered God. And instead of feeling better, when I remembered God, I was troubled. Isn't it interesting that sometimes our we are in such a bad place that even thinking about God seems bad. Now, if you don't want to admit that, that's okay. You can sit there and act like you have no clue what I'm talking about. And just look straight ahead and don't blink. And nobody will come around, check your heart rate. See if your, your heart's racing. But the problem is sometimes we're in such a bad place mentally... That even when we think about God, we can only can think about the bad stuff. Surely, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But that's all we can think about when we're in that bad place. Man, even God will reject me right now. And it's true that God is just. He is holy. He has the power to exercise judgment. And He will in the end. But those aren't the only attributes of God we should think about. Those things should motivate us to get right with Him, to run to Him and allow His mercy and His grace and His love to draw us closer. The fearful attributes of God should motivate us to surrender. But when we get in those bad places sometimes, we can't even think about something good with God. And the second phrase in this verse is pretty telling. 
I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Isn't that ever true? The more we complain, the more overwhelmed we get. Because what we are doing is saying, Oh, magnify my problem with me. Let us exalt my problem together. (laughs) What we're saying, in so many words, let's sit around and talk about how bad it is and how impossible it is and how this is never going to get better. And pretty soon we're so overwhelmed, it's impossible to get out of that rut. We're so deep, they might as well just put our tombstone there. Because we don't think we're ever coming back from this. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed. It wasn't just my mind anymore. It got all the way down into my spirit. I wasn't just struggling mentally and physically, but now even my spirit is overwhelmed. And that's when things get worse. As long as we're fighting them in our mind and we even fight them physically, that's one thing. But when something gets so deep it's in our spirit, then we're in a bad place. So he walks us through this progression, these three verses, to let us know he was having a really, 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 really bad time. And he was overwhelmed, and he stopped singing right there. Selah. Think about that for a minute. And thankfully this psalm doesn't stop there. But he goes on to say in verse 4, Thou holdest my eyes waking. In other words, I couldn't close my eyes. I was so overwhelmed by my problems, I couldn't go to sleep. My sorrow holds my eyes open. I'm so troubled, I can't speak. So not only can I not sleep, I can't even form the words to talk about this. The agony has paralyzed my tongue. Now, it's going to get better, guys, okay? But we have to understand that Asaph is coming from a place, a bad place here. He was in a bad way. He couldn't even talk at this point. He couldn't form the words to ask for God's help. And again, we feel so powerless when we can't tell God how to solve our problem. Right? We feel so powerless when we can't solve it ourselves. But thankfully, the Spirit is there to help us. Romans 8.26 tells us that we can go to the Lord and we can begin to pray and His Spirit will help us. Even if we don't have words to pray, as we connect our spirit to His... Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, or helps us in our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Okay, that's a, just an old English way of saying, I had no clue what even to say. I didn't even know where to start on this prayer. Beginning, middle, end, where do I even start to pray for this thing to be resolved? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 
So sometimes you, you might hear somebody in church just sitting there groaning. And that might be weird to some people. But you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what they're facing. They could be groaning for themselves or they could be groaning for someone else. But the Spirit is praying through them to help their infirmities. So even when we can't sleep, even when we can't speak, there's still hope that we can go to God and we can put ourselves in a posture of prayer before Him. And sometimes it's just the tears begin to flood from our eyes. And we aren't even saying words, but our spirit is connecting with His Spirit. And He's beginning to minister. And He goes on to say, I've considered the old, the days of old, the years of ancient times, because sometimes, again, we get this place of such deep sorrow, all we can do is begin to think about how things used to be. How things used to be better. He begins in sorrow to reflect on God's behavior and His promises in the past. And his place with God in the past. And of course we get to this place and the enemy begins to heap condemnation and starts saying, it'll never be that way again. And again, we can agree with the enemy in that moment because we can say, you're right. It's going to be better. Because God's leading me to a greater place. But in that moment, that temptation comes to where we just think, I wish it could just be as good as it used to be. Verse 6, he goes on to say, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I remember how I used to sing good songs at night. Instead of laying with my eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling, in anxiety-ridden struggle for sleep, I would peacefully drift up with songs of joy and comfort, singing and making melody to the Lord. Oh, how it used to be. How I wish I could go back the good old days, right? And I begin to commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Again, he's just contemplating all these things from the past. And these, these contemplations lead to these questions in verses 7 through 9. We're going to make that turn to the good part of the psalm shortly. But we're going through the process that psalmist was going through And he begins to ask these questions. In verse 7 he says, Will the Lord cast off forever? Is the Lord going to cast me off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is he going to ever give me favor again? Is his mercy clean gone (laughs) forever? It sounds like from the south again. The other said yonder on Sunday, and now clean gone just sounds like some a redneck would say. I woke up and my stuff was clean gone. It was clean gone. I don't know who stole my stuff, but it's clean gone. Did you know that was in Psalms? Did you? Is clean gone forever. Does his promise fail? Again, he's at such a place of desperation, 
He's being ridiculous. Does his promise fail forevermore? No, it doesn't even fail for one minute, let alone forever. It doesn't doesn't fail for a nanosecond. But we get so low, we're thinking, is his promise going to fail forever? You know when we're inconsolable and we're being ridiculous? This is going to be forever. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Again, he quits singing at such a great spot. Selah. He's in a bad place. But again, if we're honest, if we've been living for the Lord for a while, we've all asked similar questions. We've all wondered if I can be forgiven, if I can be restored, if God's ever going to quit being mad at me. But we've got to remember the rest of the Bible says His mercy endures forever and Things like his anger endures, but for a moment. If we'll just repent, God's going to be there to forgive us. He's going to bless us. And we may deal with some repercussions of our mistakes and poor choices and sinful decisions. But it doesn't mean that we can't be saved. Because God can't resist a humble heart. In verse 10, he begins to come out of his funk finally. And I said, this is my infirmity. This is my weakness. In other words, these first nine verses you just read were my human weakness. The expressions of my carnal mind. My unbelief. It's a weakness. Like the tearful father. Lord I believe but help thou my unbelief. Because I want to believe but inside of me there's also the part of me that is unbelieving. And this is my weakness. This is all my weakness talking. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. And again, the right hand in Scripture, just like God doesn't have an ear that bends from heaven, He doesn't have a right hand that comes down and does things. A physical right hand that appears, smacks some people upside the head, and goes back into heaven. It's a figurative speech for the power of God. So he's saying, I'm going to remember the years of the power of the Most High. Instead of succumbing to my weakness, I will overcome by remembering the years of the power of God. I will choose to focus more on the greatness of God than on the enormity of my problems. I will quit focusing on how weak I am to overcome and focus on how great He is 
and how able he is. And earlier I joked about magnifying our problems when when the psalmist, what he really said was, come magnify the Lord with me. And you can't make God bigger. Magnify doesn't mean we make God bigger. It means we examine Him differently. Have you ever used a magnifying glass? Probably in science at some point. The object under observation does not change in physical size. But it changes in your perception as soon as you put that magnifying glass over it. It's like, small, he's big. Small, big. It's magic. Because you magnified it. And that's the point. Is God's always the same size. He's always big. He's always great. But when we begin to focus on Him and understand His greatness and see Him differently we begin to have faith that everything's going to be okay. Because we see how big our God is. Pastor Gurley in Texas was interviewed on Fox and Friends and they asked him how he's encouraging the church because they're going through all the flooding and all this happening there. They asked him what his message was on Sunday. This was on a Saturday, and he just said, My message is simply it rains, but God rains. It rains like the rain that comes down from the sky, but God rains like R E I G N S. He rules. Okay, it rains on the just and the unjust. Life's not always easy, but God still reigns. God's still in control. And when stuff happens, it seems like when it rains, it pours, right? It's not a small rainstorm. It's just like when it starts happening, it's like a deluge. 40 days and 40 nights. But God reigns. God is in control. And that's how Asaph recovered from his weakness of unbelief. He began to examine how great God is. I will remember the works of the Lord. So just like I've commented before, when the Bible says, I will praise Him, it's an act of will, right? It's your choice and your choice alone. And the only one that can cause you to remember is you. Other people can help you, but it's a willful choice to remember the works of the Lord. Of the Lord. You have to choose to remember. He goes on to say, Surely I will. Again, there's the word. I will remember thy wonders of old. I will remember. I will bring to mind. That doesn't mean they're on your mind at that moment. You have to summons them. You have to call those memories. Because what's in your mind right now needs to be overridden. It needs to be evicted. It needs to be replaced. So you have to cast that out and embrace the remembrance of the Lord. That's why 2 Corinthians 10 speaks about warfare. 
Again, we're not in a patty cake for Jesus activity serving God. Some days are more patty cake than others. Praise God for it so we can have some fun and relax. But we're also in the middle of a battle. 2 Corinthians 10.4 tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And where do those strongholds reside primarily? In our minds. The infirmity of our mind, the weakness of our mind, the default of our mind to think about the worst case scenario. So how do we exercise these weapons of our warfare? By casting down imaginations, verse 5 says, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, the knowing of God, the, the understanding of God. Everything that tries to come and remove your knowledge of God needs to be cast down and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that's a tall order. The Bible gives us a target that we don't measure up to all the time, but it's better than moving the target so it's easy, right? Because then we're, we're taking God's word and we're changing it. So we need to acknowledge we're not going to bring every thought captivity. We all fall and we all make the mistake of, of letting some of those thoughts take us captive at times. But God's saying, lead the captivity captive. Overcome it. And bring it into obedience of Christ. So when I'm in those moments where my mind is racing and I'm going crazy with all these things, I need to, through the grace of God, start casting down those things and remembering the truth of who God is. I will cast down carnal thoughts and thoughts that come and exalt themselves above God. Thoughts of despair, thoughts of unbelief. And I will discipline my mind through the grace of God to recall the works and the wonders of the Lord. Nehemiah 9.17 Nehemiah 9.17 gives us a little bit of instruction by warning. And then it has a good encouraging thing at the very end of the verse. But the beginning of the verse is challenging. It says... That they refuse to obey. Neither were mindful of thy wonders that thou didst among them. They refused to obey God and they refused to acknowledge the wonders that he did among them. Instead, they hardened their necks and in their rebellion they appointed a captain. To return to their bondage. Instead of going on with God, they return to bondage because they refuse to be mindful of the wonders He did amongst them. And we're not going to do it tonight, but if you go on to Psalm 78, the psalm right after this one, He starts to paint the picture of what happened to the children of Israel in the wilderness when they continued to tempt God and to to make him angry with their unbelief. And it says they refused to remember. They did not remember. And as a result, 
All they did was focus on the negative. And their unbelief, it goes as far as to say in Psalm 78, limited the Holy One of Israel. Now you have a God who has all power in heaven and earth, and you only have one thing that can limit Him. Our brain. He can't work through unbelief. Verse 12, he goes on to say, oh, let me finish that verse, sorry. I like to finish it because it's good at the end. So he returned to bondage, but the Lord, Nehemiah says, thou art a God ready to pardon. So even though they didn't remember his goodness, even though they refused to obey him, even though they hardened their necks in rebellion and stubbornness and went back to bondage rather than follow him, Still, God stood ready to pardon. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. Okay, those are some of the things we need to remember in our moments of weakness. He's ready to pardon. He's gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and of great kindness. And forsookest them not. Again, good old English. He didn't forsake them. It's a lot better than he forsook us them not. Let's be mindful of his wonders. He goes on to say in verse 12 back in Psalm 77. I will meditate also of all thy work. And talk of thy doing. So instead of our mind chewing on the bad stuff I'm going to meditate on his work and this word meditate doesn't just stop with thinking about it but it it means something interesting when I was studying it surprised me because you just think of meditate as just contemplate and really think about but it means to murmur to yourself so he says I will murmur to myself also of thy work Most people think you should be admitted if you talk to yourself. But here it's encouraged. Asaph said, I will will murmur to myself. In a low voice, the definition says in the Hebrew. Murmur to yourself in a low voice. And we, we always think about negative occurrences of this, right? Again, the stub your toe. Okay? Or you're like, somebody does something you don't really like, and you're like, okay. And you're like, I'll show them. And ask me to do that. And you kick the dog. And the dog says, hey, what did I do? And the murmuring was something the children of Israel did in the wilderness that was frowned upon because they weren't murmuring about the goodness of God. They were murmuring about unbelief. They were complaining against what God was doing. So just like murmuring and self-talk can be negative, it can be positive. What would it be like if when we muttered things under our breath, we weren't angry with ourselves, 
we were speaking of the goodness of God. Because usually I joked about talking and murmuring about somebody else, but usually we murmur the most, at least depends on your personality a little bit, but most of us, I think, probably are our own worst critic. So we're usually getting mad at ourselves under our breath. You know, you're trying to impress that girl and you say that stupid thing and then you walk away you're like, what an idiot. She's never going to go out with me now. She's going to think I'm an idiot. Because I am. And you get mad at yourself all the way home. You blew it. What about instead of beating yourself up, you just murmur to yourself about God's goodness? Man, God loves me. Not sure why, but He does. And and talk about the good things. And even again, you're you're not building yourself up by talking about good things about yourself because you're giving the credit to God. Being humble doesn't mean you think you're a piece of trash. Being humble means you understand all the good things come from God. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, I've heard it say this way, but it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking of your, less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. So instead of focusing on you, focus on Him and His goodness. David was crazy too. 1 Samuel 30 and 6. 1 Samuel 30 and 6. Because again, at the end of the verse it says, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. This talk of thy doings again means to converse with oneself. So again, he said it twice. He said, I'm going to murmur to myself quietly. That's what meditate means. And talk means I'm going to converse with myself. Of thy doings. So if no one else will listen, I can tell myself. Because like David found himself in the situation, 1 Samuel 36, he was greatly distressed because the people, and these are the people that are supposed to be his best friends and his greatest allies, who they just went to battle together and risked their life together, are now speaking of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved. They just lost everything they had. They came back to a city that was burned down. And their children and families gone. Every man for his sons and for his daughters. But in the middle of this moment where he is being looked at as the reason they have lost everything. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Okay, I've had some bad days. You've had some bad days and maybe worse than my bad day my worst day but probably none of us have ever had a whole army wanting to kill us probably not and there are supposed to be our best friends and they're not just upset with us they're not just talking bad about me they want to kill me that's a bad day just went to battle with these guys And now they want to kill you. And on top of that, he just lost everything he had. So he lost everything, plus his friends want to kill him. That's a bad day. If you're ever going to go in a hole and have a reason to be depressed and eat 5,000 Almond Joys, that's a day. 
Right? Why'd you eat 15 gallons of ice cream? Because someone said I wasn't their friend. How did it feel better? But David didn't have Baskin and Robbins or Tillamook ice cream. So instead, he did something better. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He began to talk to himself about the goodness of God. Instead of going into an abyss of feeling down and out. Again, I'm not, I know I joke because joking is easier to deal with things. At least it is for me. But I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. We all struggle. It's how we respond to it. In verse 13, back in Psalm 77, Thy way, O God, is the sanctuary. As he continues to encourage himself and said he's going to talk to himself about the goodness of God, he goes on to say, Thy way, O God, is the sanctuary. In other words, it is the place that is sacred and holy and nothing is wrong, but everything is right. In other words, God is the God who cannot lie. If I can put my stock in anyone or anything, it's God. Because even if he says something I don't like, he's not going to go back on it. Even if God says something that I don't really want to hear, he's not going to contradict it later. And if I'll surrender to him, he'll bless me. Because thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. You are holy and you never make a mistake. You never lead me astray. Who is so great a God as our God? Before Chris Tomlin ever started singing, How great is our God? The psalmist said it. Who's so great a God as our God? The answer is clear. There isn't another God as great as our God. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of this. So again, if we're feeling bad because we don't have a certain possession in life or we don't have a certain response that we desire out of someone or you fill in the list of the temporal things that we desire this side of heaven, we need to remind ourselves in the end we have the greatest God and we have in God the most amazing, most coveted thing in this world. There's nothing as great as our God. So even if I'm down and out because of this situation over here, I still have the greatest God. Thou art the God that doest wonders, verse 14 says. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. I'll try to go quickly just through these last few verses because time is getting away. But God does wonders. He does miracles. So even if my situation seems impossible to me, that's okay because God is in the business of doing the impossible. So I can be encouraged that everything is going to work out in the end, even if it seems impossible, because that which is impossible with man is not impossible with God, because he reminds us, is there anything too hard for me? And we say, no, God, there's not. Because thou hast declared thy strength among the people. It's not something that was done in a corner somewhere. It was declared openly. God made a show of the enemies of our soul openly when he rose from the grave. He made a show openly. He declared openly. We know what God can do because He has done it openly. 
And he wants to continue to declare his greatness through our lives. One of my favorite sayings is when we are down to nothing, God is up to something. Because sometimes we get, have to get down to nothing to accept God's something. Because we're too self-sufficient when we have everything we think we need. That's why Paul understood in 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 9-11, He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. That was God's response to Paul. So Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, I will glory rather in my infirmities or my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in weakness. Paul, you're weird. You're crazy. Because we don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to feel weak. But Paul took pleasure in it because he knew in those times of weakness, in those times of when he's vulnerable, those times where he felt like there was no way he could make it any further. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because I finally quit trying to trust in myself. And the only thing I have left to trust in is God. And in the end, He gets all the glory because I will look back and say, I never would have got through that except the Lord was by my side. I look back and wonder how I got over the song says, it was only because God was with me. Verse 15, thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people. Again, with his power, he has redeemed his people. The sons of Jacob and Joseph. Since the beginning of time, God is able to redeem his people. He's able to buy them back. Redemption means you are buying it back. What belonged to you originally, you have to go and buy it back. So when we find ourselves away from God, we find ourselves in bondage or oppression, or even if it's our own hand that got us there, God is still willing to buy us back. He's willing to bring us back to Him. Again, I don't have time to get into it, but that's the whole point of the story of Gomer and Hosea. Is the Lord tells Hosea to go and purchase Gomer who has left him and forsaken him and become a harlot again. And he goes to where she's being sold as a slave and he pays the money to buy her and bring her home. And people must have thought he was crazy. Verse 16, the waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The Asaph begins to shift to how even creation is in awe of God. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound, thine arrows also went abroad. Verse 18, the voice of thy thunder was in the heaven, the lightnings lightened the whole world, the earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Naaron. 
Asaph made up his mind he wasn't going to forget the goodness of God. If we can stand, we're going to just read through Psalm 103 as we close because it provides more context to exactly what we're talking about. And just to remember His goodness as we conclude tonight. Psalm 103, the psalmist sings, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Right? We can't forget the benefits of serving God. There are no benefits in this world that compare to serving God. We get abundant life here, and we get eternal life beyond. There's no greater benefits offered anywhere. We've got to make sure we don't forget that, lest we trade it like Esau for something that satisfies our stomach for a couple hours. Short-term eyesight. Forget not all his benefits. He, here's some of his benefits. He forgives all of our iniquities. Well, I don't know. I sinned so many times. Blah, 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 blah. Zip it. He forgives all. How many things can you exclude from all? None. All is a fancy Hebrew language Old Testament word for all. All of your sins. He heals all thy diseases. Now, something like that, just quickly, that may not happen totally till heaven. Sometimes some of these promises are fulfilled completely in heaven. Sometimes this side of earth, sometimes in heaven. Just want to say that real quickly. But he redeems thy life from destruction. He brings us back from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. He feeds us what's good for us and it renews our strength. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. And if you're oppressed, you're part of the all. And God will execute righteousness and judgment on your behalf. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. These are some of his benefits. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. So again, if you're feeling the hot breath of God's anger, it won't last forever. He does get angry sometimes because we make dumb mistakes. And our mistakes don't just hurt us, they hurt other people. So if he's not just upset with us for hurting ourselves, he's upset with us for messing with someone else's innocence. Because he's just. But he won't stay mad forever. And he hath not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise God. Right? That's a number one benefit for me right there nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heaven is above the earth, 
So great is his mercy toward them that fear him. So as, far, as high as heaven is, and we don't even know how high it is. It's beyond what we can see. That's how great his mercy is towards them that will reverence him and trust him. As far as the east is from the west, again, how do you go out forever both directions? However you do that, that's how far he removed our transgressions from us. As a father, a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are but dust. As for a man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Okay, we're just here for a moment, and then we're gone. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. Okay, our life is this long. It's just like a vapor, and it's gone. In contrast, His mercy is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him, and His righteousness unto the children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those that remember His commandments, to do them. The Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom ruleth over all. Only three more verses. This isn't Psalm 119. Bless the Lord, ye His angels that excel in strength, that do His commandments, hearken unto the voice of His word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye His hosts, ye ministers of His that do His pleasure. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All the places of His dominion. And that's everywhere because there's not anywhere that God does not have dominion. Amen. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for your word and we're thankful for the honesty and the candor that you ministered through Asaph and that he was willing to let your spirit move through him and give us a psalm that we could look at tonight and understand that we're not the only ones who get low and get down and feel like there's no way we're ever going to recover and there's no way you could ever forgive us. There's no way you could ever have give us favor again. But in those moments,